listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Um, You might be able to tell my voice doesn't sound normal. That is if you know my voice. This is not my normal one. It's not a bad one, necessarily. Some people might like it better. I don't know. But you might ask, um, what does the Lorax have to do with the big yellow taxi and Isaiah 65? Well, a lot, really. Um, You know, to preach a sermon on nature or the environment might sound kind of risky, Because who do you know that actually talks about taking care of the environment these days? I mean, it sounds kind of political, doesn't it? And who wants to do politics in the pulpit? Like, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm not a politician. In fact, I am politically unaffiliated. Like, I was really surprised, happily so, when I moved to Lakeland 20 years ago. And one of my options for declaring political affiliation was no party affiliation. So not only am I not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat, I'm not even an independent. Like that was an option to choose. You could choose Republican, you could choose Democrat, you could choose independent. And then there was another option, no party affiliation. I'm like, that's me. So I'm not a politician. Um, I'm also not a scientist. Um, I mean, I, I like scientists and I listen to them. I, I love, you know, nature shows and nature channels. But I'm going to speak to you today as a pastor, as a theologian. But not just as a pastor and a theologian, but also as kind of who I am. So most of you know, I believe, that I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. And when you grow up in the mountains, you're kind of just, I don't know, naturally part of the land. The land is so much a part of who the people are because so much of our lives were dependent upon the land. We were from that place. I mean, those hills were our hills. And so everyone I knew was either a farmer or they worked in the coal mines. Like both of my grandfathers, all of my uncles. And so we were people of the land. And we were really conservationist. I mean, that does sound a little political, perhaps, because it has the term conservative in it, right? Conservationist. But we we cared for the land. And it wasn't that, um, I mean, I want to save a whale and, you know, a baby seal as much as the next person. And I might even hug a tree if I I felt like it. But we, we we weren't motivated by those things. Like, I, I was taught to hunt and fish at a very early age. I was, um, I want to get this right. Let's see if I can get my, I was seven years old, I think, when I got my first rifle. I mean, think about that for a second. If you did not grow up in that culture, that might sound extraordinarily young. Think how small a seven-year-old is. At seven years old, my Christmas present was a twenty-two, And I was pretty good at it. You know, I was taken out a lot. I I can remember at age 12 hearing my name over the intercom. For those of you who are public school kids, you know what I'm talking about. 
you know, Robbie Waddell needs to come to the di to the uh, principal's office. I'm like, oh yeah. And so off I go, and there stands my dad, and he's signing me out of school. And I thought, this is great. Who wanted to stay for algebra anyway? And we get in dad's truck, and off we go to a friend's farm. And we got a couple of 12-gauge shotguns, and we spent the rest of the day groundhog hunting because groundhogs dug holes, and it was a dairy farm. And the guy's dairy farm, Denton Staley, I did not change the name to protect the innocent, uh, Denton Staley's dairy farm that protect his cows, we would shoot the groundhogs that would keep them from digging the holes in, in the field that the um, cows would then step in. But again, I just want to say this because one, we are people, and so we live in some place. And the place in which we live is necessary for our survival. And when the environment suffers, people suffer. And the people that suffer the most are those that are at most at need. Because frankly, when things get out of hand, I live in a life now that if, if um, it gets hotter, I just turn the AC down more. If it gets windier, I live in a, a hurricane-proof house. I have, you know, a hip roof, and it's fairly new. And, you know, I, I live a comfortable life. I personally am not affected by it. But I know other people that are. And people matter. And so theologically, so if we can set aside kind of the science of it for a second, and also set aside the politics of it for a second. I don't know how that ever shifted on us anyway. Like from when I, again, when I grew up, we were conservationists because we loved the land. We were people of the land. But in any case, if I set those two things aside and we just think about it for a few minutes theologically, this is what I know. We confess that we believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. That is, we serve the creator. Our God is the one who created creation. And when God created it, he said, this is good. And I have found it to be true. It is good and it is beautiful. Like, I don't know what you prefer. If you prefer the mountains or if you prefer the beaches. If you like the sunrise or the sunset. If you like the waterfalls or if you like the deserts. But whether you read Thoreau or, or uh, Emerson or whether you just read the Psalms of David, you can find God in the beauty of creation. There are things that can be spoken to your soul that can happen when you just sit in God's creation that you cannot learn from a pastor's words or from words of anyone for that matter. You can, you can find a sense of peace, a sense of wholeness, that God created a good place, and that good place is also a beautiful place. And that good and beautiful place God has given to us, not just to sustain us, but also for us to enjoy. We often quote this passage of scripture out of Genesis 1 that talks about us being made in the image and likeness of God. In fact, Carol referenced it during worship that we're all made in the image of God, the image and the likeness of God. And right on the heels of that, God gives us a responsibility. And the responsibility that he gives us is to care for his creation. 
We are in God's image and we are in God's likeness. And God is a creator and a sustainer. And so we too are creators. We too are sustainers. We too have a responsibility now to care for things. That sense of responsibility has somehow been lost in our culture. Like when I'm around children, I'm always amazed in some ways at how, how well some of them have been trained and then also maybe not so much. But if, if um, I was raised that if someone loaned me something, something that belonged to them, I've borrowed it, I'm going to return it to them as in good a shape or, in, or better shape than how I borrowed it. Like if I borrowed someone's truck because I needed a truck and I didn't have one, when it came back to them, it was going to have a full tank of gas and it was going to be cleaner than when I got it. It was just um, something my parents taught me. Well, this world is our father's world. And we should leave it better off than we found it, not worse off. And maybe that just means taking good care of our yards and planting some flowers, maybe planting a tree. Maybe it means just recycling. I think I shared with you a couple of weeks ago when I was here last that a good friend of mine just passed away. His name was John MacArthur. John was the most um, environmentally conscious person I think I've ever met. Uh, I've known John for about 15 years, and I, I've more than anyone I've ever known, I heard John pray for, about climate change. Like, does anybody, you know, we have cares here, do we have needs, the cares of the world? When you said cares of the world for John, John was quick to say, you know, I'm worried about the future for my grandkids, and in John's case, for his great-grandkids, because he thought that the world needed to be cared for, and he thought, as a Christian man, he had a responsibility to kind of carry that forward. I feel much the same way, not just because of John's influence in my life, but I think most of you also know that my day job is not here at the church, but I teach at a local college. My specialty is in the book of Revelation. Now you might think if your specialty is in the book of Revelation, you'd be worried about things other than the earth. You'd be worried about, you know, things from outer space, right? Things coming down, us going somewhere else. But as I learned about the book of Revelation, one of the things I learned that the vision that it has of the future is much like that vision that Isaiah had of the future, the vision that Alan read to us from our text today. The vision that we have in Revelation is not of the world being destroyed and God starting over, but rather the vision that we have in Revelation is of this world being renewed. The final vision of Revelation is not an ascension story where we go somewhere else. It's a descension story. The new Jerusalem comes down to earth and it doesn't even take up the whole earth. Most of the earth is still like a, a preserve, probably a place to go hunt, I don't know, and fish, right? There's a gated city, but the gates aren't shut, and then people are coming in and out of it. And where the wild things are, apparently the wild things still are, except, at least in Isaiah's vision, even the wild things are experiencing good things. 
It says the wolf will lay down with the lamb, not to eat it, but to have a meal with it, right? It says the lion will eat, uh, eat straw like an ox. Like, I know I've said this before and I made a joke, um, but there is this kind of vision that God's kingdom that's coming is so peaceful that it will affect even the animal kingdom that even they won't be at odds with one another anymore, except, I guess, for the serpent who has to keep on eating dust. Sorry about you, buddy. But everybody else seems to have it pretty good. And I think that is just the vision that we have. I love the movies. I mean, it's one of the reasons we're doing a series on the movies. My favorite movies are post-apocalyptic dystopias. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the the evil event or the horrific event, the, the near end of the world scenario, whatever it may be, has already happened before the movie starts. And as the movie starts, you're seeing the survivors eke out a new existence, um, kind of in the light of, of the new world. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like end of the world scenarios, like when I was growing up, it was always um, nuclear holocaust, right? We were for sure that the Soviets were going to blow us up. I'm a man of a certain age. Some of you might be able to identify, right? And so that's, that was our biggest fear. Either that or aliens. Um, more recently, uh, just as an example, does anybody remember the old Charlton Heston, uh, Planet of the Apes? It's a great one, man. I love that. Love those movies. So, spoiler alert, at the end of the first one, uh, Charlton Heston's riding down the beach on the horse with this, with this, with the woman, I forget her name. And they get down there and they see the Statue of Liberty sticking out of the sand. And he realizes he's not on a different planet. He's just on earth hundreds and hundreds of years later, right? And so what had happened would have been a nuclear holocaust. And post the nuclear winter, the apes had taken over instead of people, right? Well, that, that movie has been remade. That whole series has been remade a number of times. Most recently with, is it James Flacco? Somebody help me. What's the actor's name? Franco. Thank you. James Franco. But it wasn't a nuclear holocaust that almost wiped out the human population. Does anybody know what it was? A pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. And that was before COVID. That's about 10 years ago. We should have been listening to the movies. I'm telling you, they're prophetic. So um, all of these kind of, they're, they're everywhere. Like the Hunger Games tell the story. Divergent tells the story. Book of Eli tells the story. District 9 tells the story. Elysium tells the story. Um, the Planet of the Apes tells the story. Uh, again and again and again, something happens, something that we fear, kind of our... Our fear and our despair becomes a reality, and those who live through it have to find some new life. But in those films, the earth itself seems to always survive, right? You see a cityscape, but the cityscape has now been re-greened, right? It, it looks like you're in New York City, except you see an antelope jumping down Fifth Avenue, you know, and you see the grass kind of growing up. This is that opening song we sang, Yellow Taxi. They paved paradise, and they put up a parking lot. They created a tree museum, and for $1.50, you can go in and look at the trees, 
right? It's this industrialized world that has taken God's good world and abused it. And so what happens often in these films is we see a new hope arise. Forgive the, the Star Wars reference. That was an unintended pun. But we see a hope arise, and in it, it's like we can do better. We have a second shot. And I think, actually, most of the world is trending in this direction. Like, if you look at big business, big business is putting billions, with a B, billions of dollars into green energy. They're doing it for a couple reasons. One is because they realize they can make a lot of money there, and that's what business does. They make money. That's good, right? Another reason they're doing it, though, I think is also for even a more noble reason. They're doing it because energy independence is good for governments, and renewable energy is just good for the earth. And I'm not just talking about the U.S. China is doing this. Um, India is doing this. Um, Japan is doing this. Canada and the U.S. are doing this. I really feel like at least the business world has turned the corner on this issue, and they're doing a really good job on matters of conservation and on matters of green energy and on matters of kind of caring for the world. And sometimes I think it's sad that there are people who are in the world who are doing things for a variety of reasons that are out there in front of the church doing what God has called us to do, which is to care, to love God, right, but to care for one another. And that care for one another extends to the place in which we live, not just because it's good and God created it, but also because it's good for us. And so as Christians, at the very least, we shouldn't resist such impulses. We should get out there in front of it and, and do what we can. And you might say, well, what can I do? Well, I think the Lord acts the good lesson here, right? Unless, unless you do something. And there's all sorts of things you might do. You might eat a little lower in the food chain. Sometimes you might plant a tree. You might recycle. You might um, use some renewable energy. But all of those things, are again, aren't just scientific things. They aren't just political things. They're good godly things, kind of caring for what God cares for. And we can not just share Isaiah's vision of a peaceful Jerusalem where we can build houses that we get to live in and plant gardens that we get to eat from, but we'll see our children and our children's children grow up into a future where God is, is renewing this place. We open with a psalm. I think it was Psalm 104, but there's this verse in it. I love it. It says, God sends forth his spirit, and it renews the face of the earth. God sends forth his spirit, and it renews the face of the earth. That's what God's spirit is doing. And I think that's what we too can be called to do. And so we can find that. We find it in the fact that we are part of God's creation. We find it in our vision for the future. And this is the thing I think Christians can offer to this conversation. 
maybe the best. And that is, we are a people of hope. We are not a people of despair. We believe in the God, you know, the creator. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that God that we believe in, we trust is going to make all things right. So we don't have to give in to the despair that we might hear. We don't have to give in to the despair about economics or about politics. We don't have to give in to the despair about the environment. We can trust that that God who created this place is also going to make things right. And we can be part of that hope. And we can also contribute to it, right? God taking small things and making big things out of them. And I think that's what we're called to do. So we can love. We can be people of peace. We can uh, enjoy God's good creation. So I encourage you to take some time. Maybe it's a walk at Circle B. Maybe it's a drive to either the East Coast or the West Coast to watch the sunrise or the sunset. Maybe it's a vacation up into the mountains to see a waterfall. And I also encourage you to, to, to live a life where you're aware of your own um, contribution, both to the problem and to the solution. That, that you can kind of live the way the Lorax <laughs> encouraged us to live, right? Plant that seed. Martin Luther was once asked, and I'll close here. Martin Luther was once asked, if you knew for sure that Jesus would return tomorrow, what would you do today? And you know what he said? He said, I would plant a tree. What a beautiful vision. If I knew that Jesus was returning tomorrow, what I would do today, I would plant a tree. Because if I planted a tree for years and years and years and years after that, I could come back to that tree and say, hey, this is the tree I planted before the Lord returned. Isn't it lovely? Isn't it grand? That's a, it's a vision that, that's a long vision. It's not a vision just of our lives. It's a vision that goes longer than our lives. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.